CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Well, happy Friday, Options Action fans. We have got, as usual, a big show lined up for you tonight. Here's what's on deck. All aboard! Carter worth as an express trade to catch up to the financial sector XLF. Then, it's Greek to me, but strategy to you. Tony Zhang is checking out the Delta on Delta Airlines ahead of the company's quarterly report next week. And, Boston Scientific has had a wicked good run over the last three months. But my co is down Sulla, working on a safer way to play, going into both the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and earnings. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts now. Yes, it does, and welcome, or welcome back, everybody. So, let us dive right in. We'll talk about the payment stocks, because most of them cashed in on a lot of big gains last year. Check out shares of MasterCard and Visa. They led the pack up 58 and 40% respectively. American Express and PayPal did well, 30 and 25% gains there. Square, lagging a bit. I mean, still up about 3% in the year. But Carter Wars says one of these names is about to help you ring in even more money in the new year. Carter's over at the plasma to break down those charts for you. Carter. Let's jump right in. So we're looking at Amex, and uh, the setup here is recent outperformance relative to other financials and preceding underperformance. It's a good one, too, more often than not. You see the table, it's very simple. Over the past six months, yes, what we know is that the bank index has done 13, 14. We know the ETF financials have done 11. And Amex has done a fairly paltry 1.5. And that's over the past six months. Moving forward, take a look over the past month. Now, again, that's the chart. Now, take a look over the past month. It's the exact opposite. What's happened is now Amex is on top, up six, more than double the financials, and much more than double the banks. So, again, over a longer period of time, six months underperforming, now starting to come to life. That's what nascent relative strength is all about. So here's the chart in reverse. And basically the setup on the chart, there's so many ways to draw the lines, but I think one way is you have something of a minor head and shoulders bottom. That's fairly clear. You also have this working into, and quite perfectly, right? It stops to the penny, it stops to the penny, it stops to the penny, to the penny, and here we are yet again. Quite right, play for the breakout. So many stocks have already broken out, Amex is poised to do just that. I'm a buyer. All right, Carter, he's a buyer. Head back over here. Mike, so what's the trade? Yeah, so taking a look at American Express, I think it's pretty interesting. If we look back over the course of the last five years or so, Uh, Obviously, the equity market has been on a tremendous tear. American Express is up considerably over the same time, but actually, in a valuation framework, it has not really increased as much as the market has. We're actually trading roughly around the same multiples now uh, in American Express as we were five years ago, and there's some good reasons for that. Some may recall that American Express had a couple notable stumbles, including losing that affinity relationship that they had with Costco. Those types of things cost the stock uh, during this rally. But at this point, when we're trying to find names that are trading at reasonable valuations, this one is trading at about just under 15 times forward earnings, this is one of the places that you might look. 
Um, this is also, I think, kind of a tough time to get long stocks, but I think using options, we can find a way to have some upside exposure and mitigate the risk in case that the entire market starts to see some kind of a short-term weakness. So simply what I was taking a look at was an upside calendar spread, the February, April, 130 call calendar. You could spend $1.65 for that. The way that would work when I was looking at this earlier today, the April 130 calls would cost about $3.80. You could sell the shorter dated February 130 calls against it for $2.15. And the idea here is that AXP could migrate up to that by February expiration or even go slightly above that level, and you're going to make some money as the shorter dated options decay. If you decided to, at that point, you then could hold on to those longer-dated calls and use that as your way to take longer exposure. Yeah, so I think that this trade structure makes a lot of sense, writing this 130 February call right above that 52-week high, collecting almost 50% of the premium of the, of the long leg, offsetting your risk substantially. Here, you're able to play this options play, um, this earnings play, with risking less than 1.5%, uh, 1.2% of the underlying stock price. Really cheap way to play this earnings. Right, and one thing is, remember, there is no real comp. You've got Visa and MasterCard of a type. You've got things like Capital One, Discover of a type. You've got Global Payments, PayPal. MX is its own creature, and MX is a sort of DAO-type, low-beta-type financial, which I think has catch-up potential, and that's part of what you know, Mike, you were implying. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the multiple on American Express is nothing like those other two that you mentioned. MasterCard and Visa, very different stories. And, in fact, trading at a premium to the overall market, exactly the opposite is true in AXP, which is uh, sort of more of a steady eddy in this space if you're going to think about it that way. Okay, so that's a good discussion there on American Express. Carter likes the charts. He likes the name as well. Mike gave you a good strategy there. Maybe you could make some money, pay off your Amex bill. All right, from payments... To airplanes, Bolt look now, but Delta Airlines been flying high lately. The stock up more than 6% in just the past month. And that name will kick off earnings seasons for the airlines on Tuesday. Tony Zhang says he sees only blue skies ahead. He's got a strategy for you on Delta. Take it away, Tony. So Delta reports earnings here on Tuesday, and I really like the stock out of the peer group between the legacy airlines because Delta clearly has has built a leadership in this particular space and builds a, a premium product that... Uh, leads in this particular space. And the numbers clearly show the leadership that Delta currently has. They've built a premium product and they're able to charge higher multiples or higher premiums. They're paying, they're charging higher, um, higher premiums for every seat mile compared to the legacy airlines. And if we look like, look at top line growth for 2019, Delta has about a 6% growth looking into 2019 versus American Airlines and, and United has only about 4%. And Given the fact that we have higher revenue growth, uh, higher margins, and a dividend payment, uh, dividend growth that's higher than the legacy airlines, we see uh, Delta trading at a fairly relatively cheap multiple at eight times uh, revenue. So if we look at all of that, I think this stock is relatively cheap compared to its peer group. And if you look at uh, the CEO's uh, speech at CES earlier this week, this company clearly is interested in growing this for the long run. They are interested in building the best possible customer experience for their clients, and, and they're using technology to do so. So trading at eight times earnings, I think this builds a strong case for this stock to trade at a higher multiple. So given the fact that this stock does not move very much on earnings, I'm looking to trade this using a call calendar. I'm looking at the January, February $60 call calendar. I'm looking to buy the February $60 calls 
for about $1.65. And against that, I'm going to sell the January 60 calls, collecting about $0.65. Cents. Net-net, I'm paying about $0.89 cents here for this particular trade, which gives me a mildly bullish outlook going into the earnings cycle. And then after earnings, I have a strong uh, bullish outlook for this particular stock while risking only about 1.5% of the underlying stock price. And I'm sure, obviously, because you're very cognizant of charts and rely on them, there is that sort of minor head and shoulders bottom that obviously you're targeting as part of your range, and also the relative strength. All the other airlines on a one-month basis have made no progress, right? AAL unchanged, LUV unchanged, United unchanged, and Delta up 6%. That's the kind of setup we want. No exposure to the 737. Well, that's actually excellent. On a fundamental basis, it's the one thing I think... I know we're talking options and charts, but they don't have the max exposure. That's exactly right. They're an an Airbus airline, principally. United has a lot of 737 exposure. LUV, Southwest, has the largest 737 max exposure. Also interesting when you think about the factors that are going to go into pricing an airline. Fuel costs obviously go into that. Delta has always been very interesting, among other things, even going out and going so far as to buy their own refinery. So this is a company that has been really sort of forward-looking in that sense. Yeah, and you know, and listen, again, I know we talk charts or whatever, not fundamentals, but I think it's important given the news of the day around Boeing and some of these documents about the 737 max. I talked to a former airline executive recently, and he said, don't be surprised to see Delta start advertising the type of plane they fly. Mm-hmm. Come with Delta. We have the Airbus A320, the A319, if people are wary of that 737 issue. You know, I don't think that really was the kind of thing that people would advertise in the past, but I think it is now. You know, you think about the airlines that are going to benefit from that. They would be one. JetBlue, you theoretically, know, could be another. You know, like, you know, our, the newest fleet of Airbuses, something yeah. like that where you're not right. sort of whatever. Anyway... A really interesting trade there on Delta Airlines, a name certainly that we, Tony, are watching. Thank you very much. All right, for everything Options Action, of course, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can check out the newsletter as well. In the meantime, here's what's coming up next on OA. Coming up, Professor Koh applies the scientific method to Boston Scientific, ahead of the two big upcoming events for the stock. Plus, calling all Options Action fans, reach into your pocket. Grab your phone and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Options Action. The annual J.P. Morgan Chase Healthcare Conference is kicking off next week, and the event has been known to spark some interesting moves for one group in the sector. For more on what we can expect, Meg Terrell back at CNBC HQ. Well, J.P. Morgan's biotech team took a look at stocks in that sector going back to 2001, and they found during the week of the conference, biotech stocks outperformed the broader market in all but three years, by an average of just less than 2%. Now, one of those down weeks was in 2016, the last presidential election year. So are we in for a tough week again this year? Well, not necessarily. I spoke with Michael Gato, J.P. Morgan's global head of healthcare investment banking, who said the industry is always in the crosshairs during elections, but that despite 2016, history does 
doesn't necessarily suggest there will be that much disruption. His prediction? M&A. We've seen announcements on the Sunday night or Monday morning of the conference in previous years, and he expects that could happen again. And more broadly, analysts are watching stocks of Gilead, Vertex, Biogen, and Sarepta among the bigger biotech names for updates next week. And we'll have a number of these CEOs and others joining us on CNBC. Brian? All right, Meg Terrell, thank you very much. Sticking with the healthcare space, by the way, check out this mystery name, surging more than 20% in just the last three months and outpacing the broader healthcare sector. Mike Coase, he's even more gains ahead, and he's got a way to play it. He's over at the Plasma with the call to action. And who is it, Mike? We are talking about Boston Scientific, which is a medical device company. What we're going to be taking a look at here is trading a diagonal call spread. In a diagonal call spread, it's a lot like a calendar spread, except you're using different strikes. We're going to be buying a longer-dated call and selling a shorter-dated one against it. Here are some of the reasons why you might look at doing a trade like that. For one thing, we have what we call an inverted term structure. What is an inverted term structure? That is when the shorter-dated options premiums are higher in implied volatility space than the longer-dated ones. That's one of the things we want to look at. Calendar spreads are also nice because they improve the probability of profit. You've got time on your side. The near-dated options tend to decay more rapidly than the longer-dated options. So the options that you're short are paying you more than you're losing on the options that you're long. The other thing here is that, as you were just pointing out, a 20% run in three months. This is one of those situations where you can feel like it's a little bit... dangerous possibly to try to go out and chase the stock. Here we can see that term structure that I was referring to. February options obviously trading at a significant premium to the longer dated maze that we're going to be taking a look at buying. Two reasons for that. One is the conference next week and the other is that Feb also happens to capture earnings. So let's take a look at the stock. We can see the move that it is obviously made. 20% off the bottom. We're going to try to find a way to get some near upside exposure to this without taking risk in case it should find its way back to those October lows. The trade very simply is this. I was looking at the May 46, February 48 diagonal call spread. You would buy those May 46 calls. $2.60 is what you would pay for those. Sell the shorter dated 48 calls against it for $0.60. Net-net, you're spending $2. This is a trade that's going to see basically peak profits at 48 at February expiration, if you elected at that time, you could continue to hold that longer dated call, which might be in the money at that point, or look to roll it. But this is a trade where you've got time working for you. You're not taking the same risk as reaching out and buying a stock that's up 20%, and you're taking advantage of the fact that near-dated options premiums are elevated, both for that conference and for earnings. Okay, Mike, thank you very much. Why don't you come on back? Tony, what do you think of Mike's trade? So it sounds like we're all thinking the same thing today with respect to stocks that are near its all-time highs. Selling that $48 call, I think, makes a lot of sense, giving you a little bit of upside, about 4% upside. But still, by collecting that $0.60, you're only risking less than 5% of the underlying stock price to take this bullish view on this particular stock. I like this $46 level. I, I see that if you get that breakout above it, you still get that room to grow up to 48 it, it's, listen, this is a, uh, what you'd call a, an old reliable, right? Boston Scientific is something that doesn't quite have the epic drawdowns that you see in so many healthcare names. It's outperforming on a one-year base. It's, it's almost five-fold relative to XLV on a five-year base. And it's really not extended day-to-day, week-over-week. It's been consolidating. It looks like it's going to yet press higher again. What about biotech or healthcare in general? I mean, Boston Scientific is a big name. That's a big company, Mike. And there are biotech in certain ways. But, you know, what about these, what about the pure biotechs, right? The one where literally you roll the dice and if they hit it, you can win big. If not, it goes down 
a lot. Sure. Well, if you think about it, I mean, obviously, the healthcare sector overall has been a big laggard over the past three years, and it's just starting to show relative performance. We know it's dominated by huge names like J&J and Amgen, but you've also got steady eddies like the managed care stocks and some of the very low beta pharmaceuticals. So, net-net, I think you've got the um, upside potential or sort of beta trade associated with biotech, but you've got the defensive element associated with the sector overall. You know, going to the biotech thing, obviously some of those are one-trick ponies. They're basically working on one therapy. If it works, they obviously could have tremendous opportunity, but if it doesn't, obviously disaster could follow. Then, of course, you have sort of Boston Scientific tends to acquire some of the technologies that turn around and sell. That exists in the biotech space as well, uh, you know, when we think about drugs. Celgene might be an example. So you have companies that basically can make acquisitions, and that's probably a safer way to play it, or IBB or XBI would be other I wonder, Tony, if some ways buying some of those smaller mid-cap biotechs, the one drug or one-trick ponies like Mike Tall, is is almost kind of like an option. It's exactly like You're buying an option on the drug working or them getting bought or some combo of both. The difference there is that when you buy an option, you have limited risk. When you're buying the biotech, you are taking that unlimited risk nature. So I don't like that. IBB has been relatively weak versus healthcare has been much stronger lately. Anybody interested in IBB because it hasn't been that great? Well, IBB stopped right at a it's prior It's the big bio, biotech it, ETF. It's We're not just throwing around random letters. Right, and it looks like it's, it's going to press higher and make a high, I think. You think so? Oh, yeah. That IBB looks yeah. pretty good. It's reacted to a former level precisely. It's backed away. It's been doing this for almost three, four weeks, and I think it's set up to go again. All right, we might have a future segment there. I think Carter Worth is producing from the chair. I like it. All right, coming up. It was a crazy week for crude oil. Tensions with Iran sparked a wild ride for the commodity up and then no, down, down, down. We're going to tell you what it all means from one of our traders. Plus, you have a burning question? Of course you do, probably a lot. Well, keep it to the options market. Send it over on our Twitter handle, at OptionsAction. You just might get your question and or answer on the air, as always, live from the NASDAQ market site. We're back after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Options Action. Happy Friday, by the way. It's time to take a look back at a couple of open trades. Now, last week, Mike and Carter bet on a high-energy rally in the XLE. It's waiting now, right here. We're bound back to the level when Cisco was worth more than any other company in the world. We're below that. Energy's historical weighting is 9.5. We're never going to get there again, I don't think. But here, at this low level of 4 and change, I think we're going to move back towards 55 6% of the S&P. I was just looking out to April. The 60 spot 21 strike calls, those would cost you $2.65. Those are almost precisely at the money where XLE traded today. Well, it has been a rather crude awakening for the energy stocks. Their investors since then, down about 1% after the initial spike early in the week. So, Mike, what are you doing now here? You know, I'll defer to Carter on the technical aspects, but one of the reasons we were buying calls and that we went out to April was because, number one, they were cheap. Number two, it gave us upside exposure at limited risk. Both of those two things remain true. I think what surprised a lot of people was that we didn't see a big spike uh, net of the turmoil in the Middle East, but that doesn't really didn't change. Surprise the fun- everybody, Mike. It did you surprise me everybody. On oh, really? Well, I'll, I think <laughs> I do follow you on Twitter, yeah, no, but I didn't catch that one when you when you actually tried to stop me from doing this a week ago. <laughs> but he, <laughs> but here's the thing. Actually, I, I you know what we were talking about remains true. I would stay with it. That's right. And, and listen, it popped, gave it back, 
down a percent. I mean, conceptually, you've had a lot of news thrown at the sector. It's held up, and I think you should stay. You think so? I think so. I will say from a fundamental perspective, you, we're talking about a week, which in the life of an oil trade is like a, a gnat, right. right? Because the market is deeply backwardated. And we are, we are seeing OPEC's cuts start to work a little bit. The U.S. oil industry is starting to slow down. Rig counts continue to come down. This trade and the XLE, you might longer term, even medium term, might be right. I'm not making a call because that's not my job, but this is my sector. And I see, I can feel a little bit of that sort of the, the feeling change among investors. By the way, high yield debt this week, midstream equity partners and EQ, ETP issued huge blocks of debt gobbled up, according to my sources. So there is some appetite, I think, for risk and energy. And Mike's trade is going all the way out to April. You have a lot of time. There's a lot of things that can happen between now till now and April. The only thing I can say is that if you want to reduce your risk a little, is you can sell a little bit of upside calls here uh, to reduce the cost here. And what would you sell? What would you do? I would be looking out to very short dated uh, February, uh, you know, on XLE, looking at 62 or 61, 62. Collect a little bit of premium. You can do this uh, over the next couple of months as, as XLE. Okay, good stuff. Oil trade. I know a lot of people are hoping Mike is right, certainly in that space. All right, meantime, Tony said the party in the pantry might be over for one consumer staples name. Looking at here in late October, this stock broke below its 200-day moving average. And not only did it break below the, the, the long-term moving average, relative basis has really started to deteriorate since then. However, it has recovered back up to that 200-day moving average just last week, but got rejected at that level. I'm going out to February, and I'm looking at the $70, 62-and-a-half put spread, and I'm buying that $70 put that's costing me about $3.33, purposely buying a put that's in the money to help offset some of that high implied volatility. Colgate-Palmolive jumping about 3% this week. So with a few weeks to go before this trade expires, Tony, how do you manage it? So this trade clearly has not worked out the way that I expected to. However, it's still below the 200-day moving average. This trade's down about 35%. If it moves another 40 cents against us, this is where I would like to take uh, cut losses here where I've lost about 50%. Okay, good stuff there. Up next, your tweets and the final call. All right, time now for your final call, Carter. American Express is poised to pop right at the July highs. You think it breaks out? Mike? Boston Scientific diagonal spreads gives you some upside, limited risk to the downside. Okay, and Tony? Delta, clear leader out of the legacy airlines, buying a call calendar going into earnings. All right, good show, guys. Thank you very much. A lot of good discussion on a lot of levels. As always, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back here Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim starts next. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC.